Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here with us again as we try to answer some of your questions about the Bible. And if you happen to be a first-time viewer, let me explain that to you, what we do here. Uh, the goal of the program is for people to understand their Bible better, uh, get to know their Bible. That's why we named it what we did. But the way we do that is just let viewers answer, ask questions, and we try to answer them. So if you've got a question about some verse you think you've heard and you wonder where it is, or maybe some verse you know and you don't understand what it means, or maybe something in your life or a current event you see in the paper and you wonder, what would God say about that? Uh, we'd like to try to find an answer to any of those kind of questions in the Bible for you. So there's a phone number and a website on your screen throughout the program. Use those anytime you want to to get in touch with us and ask us what you want us to talk about. We'll try to give you an answer as soon as we can. Let me introduce my partner here is Toby Leverings back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go and studied up. We always start with a trivia question for our viewers, see if they know a little bit about the Bible and uh, see if their families can figure it out. Who wrote the book of Acts? The book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, who wrote that? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that one. I think I drew the first question you today, did. so I'll just keep talking Lucky here you. for a little while. <laughs> All right, the question is, do you have to be a church member to take communion? Well, first let me just answer it pragmatically from the real world point of view. It uh, depends what church you're a member of. Uh, some churches practice what we call closed communion, and some practice what we call open communion. Open means basically uh, you get to decide if you want to take communion or not. It's up to you, and if you think you're qualified or you want to, you can. Uh, closed communion is the church decides who is eligible to take communion, uh, and they certify that only their members and all that. They go, I don't know how they keep track of all that, but uh, that's how it is in the religious world. So some churches would tell people, no, you can't take communion, and you can because you're a member and all that. Now, in the Bible, which is what we try to answer on this program, uh, the Bible doesn't really talk about that. It just talks about Christians taking communion. Uh, it doesn't get into what member of a congregation you are or anything like that. Uh, if you believe in Jesus and have obeyed Him in baptism, you're a Christian. You're a member of the church. And you take communion. It's a time when you partake of an emblem that represents His body and His blood. It reminds you of His sacrifice for you. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's a good time to examine yourself, to think about the past week, and, uh, how you've lived and all that. So very meaningful ceremony to a Christian. Uh, personally, I don't know why anybody that wasn't a Christian would even want to take communion. Uh, it's, there's no relationship there with God and Jesus, and uh, I don't know why you'd want to. But the Bible just doesn't say, no, you can and you can't. It just talks about Christians taking 
communion. Uh, the only harm I can see in a non-member, a non-Christian taking communion, it might give them a false sense of security. They might think there's something magical about this uh, ceremony that makes me all right with God or something. And that's not what it is. It's just a, a time to remember uh, what Christ did for us and the sacrifice for us. So uh, do you have to be a church member to take communion? Uh, not according to the Bible. It just doesn't talk about that. Uh, if there was a visitor that wasn't a Christian that uh, continually took communion, I think it would be a good idea to talk to him perhaps and explain what communion was about and uh, explain it because he just doesn't understand. But don't think there's much harm done there Yeah, perhaps. And, well, as you bring up, it's a good teaching opportunity mm -hmm. as well, which is sort of <coughs> what the Lord's Supper is about. So yeah. good, good question, well, good that's, answer. That's a good point. It's, Paul said when we do it, mm -hmm. uh, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're yeah. telling people, I believe Jesus died for me. Uh, so if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian, you're not a member, there's no sense in, right. in taking communion. <laughs> All, All right, right. Next, next question. One. This is a little tougher question. And what does the Bible say about taking your own life? I said it's a tougher question. The question is really not too difficult to answer, but the topic is, is a little difficult because we have all, perhaps many of us know of a person who's taken their own life tragically and, and it breaks our hearts and we don't we're kind of left lost wondering what the reasoning was and so forth. And some people want to know well, what does the Bible say about that? And the answer is the Bible doesn't say much about it. The best the Bible does is is give us some anecdotal evidence of people who took their own lives. Uh, King Saul is one, Judas another. Uh, there are other examples in Scripture very few. Uh, and, and even when the examples are given, it doesn't tell us anything about God's judgment or God's uh, deliberation on the matter or, or even give us any direct reference to, it never says thou shalt not, that kind of thing. So uh, that's kind of what people are looking for. Uh, what we have to do then in the Bible is go on some principles. And the first principle that we know is that life is precious that life is important, that life is a blessing from God. And that's why the scriptures are clear about not murdering, not taking of innocent life, and not uh, taking life in your own hands. Um, and so to me, that's probably the closest direct command because suicide is self-murder. It's the ending of, of a life, but it just happens to be uh, your own. So I think it's certainly not anything that God would want. And of course, we're later told in, uh, in the New Testament scriptures and specifically in Romans 15 that death is an enemy. And so it's not something that we would ever want to willingly subject ourselves to. And, and of course, when we're in Christ, we need not worry about the enemy. We've overcome him. Uh, but most people who are in a state of mind where they're considering suicide or they have already you know, uh, committed suicide tragically, uh, are usually not in the right state of mind. And these are folks who need some serious counseling, therapy. Uh, they need some very serious help and uh, not our judgment. So what we need to do is help them. Uh, if you're a person who's watching this program and you are in a deep state of depression or you're really struggling with some things and you see this as an option, I just want to beg and plead with you, please uh, get some help immediately. 
uh, find a good Christian counselor to help you and work through this. And some of those issues can be dealt with directly almost immediately. Some take a longer course of time. But there are other answers and solutions. And I will say this, that suicide is one of the cruelest forms of, of leaving this world because it leaves behind those who loved you and those who, who cherished you and were friends with you and knew of you. It's just, it's just uh, torturesome to them because they don't get any answer or final closure. Uh, they're just left with uh, picking up all the pieces and so forth. Uh, and so it's very difficult on them and it's very hard on them. So please just get some help um, and work on that directly. Let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is <coughs> eternal. If you're going through a tough time, I want you to hang in there. You're going to get through this. And uh, I ask you to cast your cares upon Jesus and get some other help as well if you need that. So hope that helps. That's what yeah, the Bible so, says. Thank you, Toby. Uh, viewer, about, uh, viewer wants to know about Acts 16.31. There's a verse that says uh, the jailer's whole house will be saved if he believes. Uh, our viewer has read it that way and wants to know what that means, why it says that. Uh, we'll put it on screen in just a little bit, but let me just talk from the Scripture a little bit here first. The verse, I'll just read it directly. They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, once again, if that's the only verse you read, it sounds like uh, Toby asked me, what do I need to be saved? Right. And I said, if you believe, yeah. you and your whole household will be saved. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got to read context once again. Yeah. We go out from there, we read a little bit more, and we find out, no, that's not exactly what it says. Uh, the story, uh, which is helpful to know, is about Paul and Silas being thrown into prison in Philippi and uh, for causing all sorts of trouble in the city that day. And they're in jail, and at midnight they're singing praises to God, <laughs> which got the jailer's attention. The jailer says, something's wrong with these guys. Uh, they've been flogged, they've been thrown into prison, and they're praising God and thanking Him uh, that they're able to serve Him in this way. So the jailer's paying attention, and about that time the earthquake comes, and the jailer comes running in and figures, if they're loose, I'm, I'm dead. So he finds them, and when he finds them, his first question is, what do I need to do to be saved? Because he had seen their attitude, he had seen their love for God, and now he saw their God <laughs> shook the prison. So he says, what do I need to do to be like you? And that's when they answer the question. Now let's read it with a little context, uh, verse 31 and 32 on the screen together. Uh, Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Okay, so what they really said was, If you believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. Now, the same formula will work for all your household. And so we read the rest of the story. That's what they did. He took them home. They told the whole household, all the adults there, what was going on, and they believed also. Uh, so the jailer washed their wounds and all that, and then the family was immediately baptized. All the adults in the family were baptized, and then the jailer rejoiced. 
Okay, that's the that's the pattern that we find that every time you you believe in Jesus, you do what Jesus says, you're baptized, and then you rejoice. Uh, that shows up in every case of conversion we've ever seen. Uh, the belief is the general answer. Well, if you believe in Jesus, you trust you trust in Him, do what He says, all that you can be saved. So. Great little story there, same story all the way through Acts about different people uh, wondering about what to do to be saved and uh, being told the same answer. So uh, the, the whole household was not saved because of one person's belief. They also heard the same story about Jesus, then they believed and they were obeyed Christ in baptism, they were saved also. You bring up a key point, just in trying to understand any issue, just uh, reading a few extra verses ahead, even just one chapter, is so helpful in understanding the totality of Scripture. I mean, we can't just pick and choose, this seems to fit what I believe, and this seems to, we have to look at all of it. Anytime what all of it says disagrees with what you believe, you might want to re-examine. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's, what, uh, that's good this viewer did that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That verse by itself is confusing. Yep. <laughs> well, what's my belief got to do with everybody else? Uh, so the viewer is right to say, yep. I, don't, I don't get this. Uh, and he, he did. Yep. called and asked and said, explain it. And well, there it is in the Bible. So <laughs> good question. Good. And good answer. All right, let me take this moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible for yourself. We enjoy answering a few questions for you each week, but uh, there's a lot more in the Bible than we can ever get to. Uh, if we stay on for a millennium, we'll never get it all covered. Uh, so we advocate home Bible study. And to do that, to help you with that, we've got some free materials that we'll send you. Uh, we send them through the mail. We think that's a good way to study. Uh, and we're happy to do that, and we pay the postage. We take care of all of it. We just, just want you to study. There's no uh, cost for any of this. Uh, I know some people are leery of religious TV programs and giving your name and address to them, anything like that. Uh, I promise you, you won't get on a mailing list. You won't ever be asked for money. Uh, we just want you to study the Bible, and we found some good ways to do it. This first set of eight lessons is a good introduction, a good overview, uh, helps you understand your Bible. Once you get through it, uh, we've got a handsome certificate that we'll get to you that uh, we're proud of you for finishing that first course. And then we've got a number of other courses that are more advanced, take a little bit longer, but get into a lot more detail about the Bible. So, great way to study the Bible. Absolutely free of charge. Can't get a better deal. Uh, just use the phone number or the website. Let us know you'd like to study with our materials. We'll send them to you and get you started. So, give us a chance to do that for you. Okay. All Your right. Wants to know is there anywhere in the Bible that shows how Jesus handled anger? Well, uh, there are several cases in the Bible where Jesus did get angry. Of course, probably the best known one is John chapter 2, uh, starting along at about 13. Now, this is not on your screen, but it's the story of Jesus clearing the temple. And John records, He made a whip of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, He said, Get out of here! Stop turning my father's house into a market! And his disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. 
Well, it's interesting. We usually don't picture Jesus in that way. We imagine him as very calm and, and, and tepid and just very relaxed and peaceful. But Jesus did get angry and he certainly got frustrated. And there are numerous other times in scripture where he was frustrated with the Pharisees and sometimes even his own apostles. Uh, but uh, Jesus' anger was always in, directed at the right things for the right reasons. It's what we call righteous anger. And that is certainly appropriate. Uh, in fact, I would say many times in today's world, uh, the problem is when righteous people don't get angry enough over the things that are happening in the world and it leads to inaction, it leads to just uh, complacency and, and not being the salt and light that God calls us to be. So are there places in scripture where Jesus got angry? Sure. Does, he, did, does that mean that he sinned when he got angry? That's a different story. And of course, Jesus was perfect. We know he sinned in no way. And so we know that every example of him getting angry was in the right way. And it's a good example for us about how, you know, anger is a natural emotion. God designed us to be angry at certain things. Uh, w when you read something in the paper or see something on the news about some tragic uh, thing, uh, you, if you're a righteous person, you ought to get angry about that. You ought to get angry over the right things. Unfortunately, usually we get angry about the wrong things, selfish things and things in our own world and, and things that concern just our comforts and our desires and so forth. And, and that sort of anger gets into sin. So we've got to be angry about the right things like Jesus was. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 26 and 27. And there Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, In your anger do not sin. It doesn't say don't get angry. It just says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So, uh, was Jesus angry? Yes, from time to time he was human. Uh, and, but when he was angry, he was angry in the right way for the right reasons. All right, good answer. <coughs> Question about premillennialism. We get a lot of folks that wonder about that, but this person is going back to the very basics of the doctrine and wants to know when uh, did it start and by whom? Who, who dreamed up premillennialism? Uh, interesting question and I didn't really know when I got the question. I had to do a little bit of researching and I didn't, not an expert on it any means, but I looked a few places. Uh, first of all, it's Im <clears throat> I think it's really impossible to say this doctrine started on this date. Uh, and it was started by this person. <clears throat> Almost any doctrine kind of forms over years. Uh, and I'm talking about something that's not very clear in the Bible or something that comes from a number of different Bible verses. To come up with premillennialism, you got to take some stuff out of Daniel and you got to take some stuff here and you got to put it all together. And uh, a number of people started working on any doctrine or discovering something they thought and proposing it, and somebody else maybe picked up on that. And uh, pretty soon. The doctrine was kind of formed, and nobody ever totally agrees with something like that. So I, I don't think you can ever say, well, started on this date by this person. But the, the concept of premillennialism, that there's going to be a millennial a kingdom on earth for a thousand years before we go to heaven sometime. Actually, there were some Jewish scholars I found that believed that before Jesus even got here. Uh, they read some of the Old Testament things about the, the prophecies about Israel and all that, and they thought there would be an earthly kingdom uh, here on earth before we went to heaven. Now, then after Christ came and the early church started, uh, two of the names that came up with or believed in 
premillennial kind of doctrine, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus. And it says of them, when somebody was writing about what they believed, it said, they followed the Jewish teachings on a kingdom on earth before we would go to heaven. So they picked up on what some of the Jews were talking about and started teaching this premillennial kind of thing. Uh, it's interesting, over 2,000 years of Christianity, uh, there are very few people really have believed this doctrine. It's a, not a common thing. It's not very popular throughout the two millennia. But in the last hundred years or so, the last couple hundred years, uh, it's gotten much more popular. And recently, uh, with the Left Behind series and some of that kind of teaching, uh, a lot of people are starting to uh, accept it more and more and believe in it. Uh, but overall, the vast history of Christianity uh, hadn't been a very popular uh, belief. Not many people got caught up in it or believed it. But uh, anyhow, that's where it started. Uh, kind of came into existence slowly like any doctrine does, mm -hmm. I guess. But I can't give you a date and a person. <laughs> All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We uh, always try to mention something about the, the churches that support us and invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. And occasionally we mention the home church of Know Your Bible, which uh, we're going to talk about today, the Northside Church of Christ. Uh, that's where Toby and I attend and where we uh, Know Your Bible started a number of years ago. Uh, still support the program and provide it and broadcast it from Wichita, Kansas. If you're ever in our area, we'd love to meet you. Drop in on Sunday morning. Worship is at 10 o'clock. Uh, we'd be happy to get to know you. Uh, if you're looking for a church home anywhere near you, look for Church of Christ. You'd find some folks that think and study the Bible like we do here on Know Your Bible. Uh, got a lot of good things at Northside. Got a great youth group. Uh, got a Celebrate Recovery program. If you're uh, bothered with the things in life, uh, hurts, habits, and hang-ups is what we call them. Uh, Celebrate Recovery would be a great place for you Thursday night at 7 o'clock. So we've got a lot of programs like that that uh, are great. we just got a great family there, and we'd be happy to have you visit anytime. All right, yep. marriage question here. Yeah, who wants to know, <laughs> was Jesus married? Well, that's a, it's an intriguing question, uh, but no, Jesus was never married uh, that we have mention of in Scripture or in history for that matter. There are lots of fictional writings that propose that He uh, was married and had children and so forth, but those are all just uh, pure fiction and uh, just uh, made up stories to sort of intrigue us. Uh, the Bible does mention, of course, that Jesus' mother was Mary and his, uh, his adoptive father, if you will, was Joseph. And uh, it mentions in Matthew chapter 12 that he had other brothers as well. Uh, so we know that he had other family. Uh, and I think it would be very reasonable if he was married uh, that they would mention that somewhere along the way. But there's simply no mention of it. And, uh, and it seems to, uh, every, every mention of it that I can see has only been in writings made up by human beings. Now, I will say, uh, in, a, in a bit of a symbolic way, Jesus does have a wife, uh, and that is uh, the church. And the church is referred to in the New Testament as His bride. And uh, I love that picture because it tells us of the closeness of Jesus and the church and how they work together. 
just like any good husband and wife do and, and how they fulfill the purposes of God in the world. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So in the tr traditional sense, no, Jesus was not married in this world, did not have a wife. Uh, in the spiritual sense, however, the, the church is His bride. <laughs> All right. All right, I'm going to answer this one real quick, fast, Toby, so yeah. you get time to pick right. on Christian Mingle. I want to hear that. <laughs> You want to know, will the nation of Israel have a purpose in the end times? And my belief on that is, no, the nation of Israel were not. I think the nation of Israel as a whole has rejected Christ. Certainly some Jews believe in the Messiah, uh, that it was the Son of God was Jesus. Uh, but in general, they rejected the nation of Israel has become the spiritual Israel. The Gentiles have been grafted in, Paul talked about. So now when the Bible talks about Israel at the end times, I think it's talking about all believers in Christ, Jewish believers in Christ and uh, Gentile believers in Christ. One verse that says that with uh, some clarity is Romans 11, 25 and 26. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. All Israel, believing Jews, believing Gentiles will be saved. So no, the nation of Israel I don't believe will have a part. All right, Toby, I want to hear this one. Most unique question I've ever received thus far. A viewer wants to know, and they specifically say, direct this to Toby, <laughs> I don't know why, is it or is it not a sin to presume to know the mind of God? If it is true, which I believe strongly, Christian Mingle will have to change the advertising policy. That's one of the reasons I have not signed up. Well, uh, the first time I read this question, it took me three or four times of reading it to understand what the viewer was asking. Uh, there is an online dating service that I, unto this point in my life, knew nothing about. <laughs> it's called Christian Mingle and it's designed for Christians, Christian singles, uh, to meet online and, and you know, meet people of similar interests and of course similar faith. And I had no idea why this was a controversy or even a question. I uh, did a little research and find out that they have a tagline that says, find God's match for you. And that caused a little controversy and they had even addressed it on their website. And I thought their explanation of it was fair. They say our tagline, find God's match for you has caused some controversy. To clarify, while we in no way mean that Christian Mingle is the only place where one can find the person God has meant for them, we do believe Christian Mingle is a tool God can use to bring people together. So I, you know, from that explanation, I do not think they're really trying to presume the mind of God. I uh, will give them a little bit of grace there. Um, I, I think they're just um, really good marketing. <laughs> they are uh, clearly marketing at a certain demographic of people, Christian singles, and they're wanting them to know that they can use this as a tool that God uh, can use them to help them find their mate, someone who believes in Christ as well. So if you want to use Christian Mingle, fine. If you don't want to use Christian Mingle, I'm okay with that too. I neither condone uh, <laughs> nor prohibit the use of Christian Mingle. Uh, but let's uh, think about some things. You have about three to four billion options for a mate. Um, out of those, you get to pick people who are one, not already married, 
Two, legally old enough to get married. Uh, three, uh, does God have one person in mind for you? No, I don't think so. He gave you free will and a reasoning mind. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 15, we're not going to read that on the screen. You can read that at home. It talks about being uh, equally yoked is the only other thing Scripture says about it. Got All right. trivia question here? We got a trivia question. <laughs> who wrote the book of Acts? And the book of Acts was uh, written by a guy named Luke who also wrote the book of Luke. And he, if you read Acts 1-1 and Luke 1-3, you'll see where he wrote it. We're glad you've been with us today. We don't have many uh, time for any more questions, but we invite you to be back with us next week on Know Your Bible. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.